All right, everybody. Welcome, welcome to church. You made it out of bed. Good for you. You've already, you're already off to a win. Doesn't matter what time you get here. I think I've been, I haven't, I was never on time to church until I started working here. Then like I had to be. So uh, if you were on time, extra kudos to you. But um, we're in the story of Jonah and we're at this pivotal moment. If you remember last week, we ended on a cliffhanger. They're, they're, the, the little boat that Jonah is in is being ravaged by a storm. Everybody's kind of freaking out. And it ends with everybody finding out that Jonah is running away from God, the, the maker of the sea and the dry land. And they are just like, what have you done? And so that's where we ended this morning. We pick up at that pivotal moment where Jonah comes out of, he's awakened. And we talked last week about the way that storms can wake us up spiritually in our life. And we're at this pivotal moment where the awakening is going to get deeper. And we're going to look at how awakening can become renewal in our life. Let's read together Jonah chapter one, verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for the innocent, for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Oh, this has got a word for us today. What an incredible moment. You know, I did forget something. Before we even get into this passage, let me just remind you guys, next Sunday, um, I'm going to be doing, my wife and I will be hosting Morning Date and Whole Marriage and talking about the journey to a joy-filled marriage. So if that piques your interest, join us next week. Um, but with that said, the storm is getting rougher. Things are going from bad to worse. What are we going to do? And um, we looked last week at the way that storms can wake us up. Storms can humble us. Storms can put us in touch with our need for renewal in our life. Um, they have a way of revealing our blind spots, don't they? When we're going through a trial, it can reveal blind spots in our life that we didn't know we had. That's why they're blind, right? Uh, where our trust really lies, where, where our trust really is, right? You don't really know where your trust is until the things that you trust in are taken away, which is what makes it a storm for us. Are you with me? In this case, they don't have control of their circumstance. It's when you don't have control, you realize what an idol we have made out of our control over our circumstance. If you're a non-Christian, you're sitting here going, uh, duh, what else is there? Right? But there's that same thought in all of us, no matter how much we learn, that it's about surrendering and trusting in God's control. There's that part, that voice, that part of us that is always wrestling with that. Uh, we, we Blind spots like fear, doubt, and anxiety. Storms can bring to light anger, pride, control, or addictions patterns of coping. But if we are willing, these can become moments of spiritual breakthrough and transformation. They can be. 
if we allow them to be. Areas of our heart and our mind that are not aligned with God that need renewal. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, renewal, and what that really means on a personal level and how the idea of renewal speaks to our longing for what we see going on in the world. So I want to just ask the question, what is renewal? What do we mean when we talk about renewal in the church and in the scriptures? I want to show you guys a verse, Titus 3, 5, where we see it show up. Let's look at this scripture together. Once you read it out loud with me, because it's such a great verse, I want us to all really just get into it. So it says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There it is, renewal. Now, I want to just point out that renewal in the Greek, let's go to the next slide, is the Greek word anakinosis. And it's used all throughout the New Testament, new creation. Paul uses that kinos, that last half of the word, that root word, to be made new. And when we accept Jesus, we become a new creation. The Bible talks about that we're being renewed day by day. It's not a one-time event. The Bible also talks about in Revelation, the new heavens and the new earth. And the Bible looks at this idea of renewal at the personal level, at the relational level, and at actually a bigger picture, a new heaven and a new earth. And I want to just look at this more in depth and the way that Jonah is laying this out for us. Now, part of this series is, is falling more in love with God, growing in love for one another, but also just the depth and the intricacy of scripture, the word of God and how beautifully written it is. Look at this next slide here. And you can see how the idea of renewal is laid out throughout all four chapters. So we, we see is renewal at three levels. We see renewal at the personal, then the communal, then the social level. And by personal, I mean Jonah. Jonah needs to get renewed. The story starts with God wanting to renew Nineveh, this city, but now who, Nineveh is out of the picture because God needs to bring renewal to his son, Jonah. And isn't that true about the world and what God is doing in the world today? God wants to bring renewal to our families. He wants to bring renewal to our relationships and to our world, but he's got to begin with the people of God, okay? And so we see at, the, at one level, renewal is personal and it's spiritual. It's not just a self-help program. It's not just a, a couple techniques of relationship that make everything better. It's not just a little self-help, self-improvement. It is a transformation of the spiritual order, right? So go back to Titus 3, 5. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth. Saved. Doesn't that sound a little bit melodramatic? Do we really need God to save us? Or do we just need a little pick-me-up? Maybe for others of us, I don't need to be saved. I just need a little inspiration. I don't need inspiration. I just need a little nudge. I need a little bit more information. I need a little bit of perspective, maybe. Maybe I need a little bit um, less carbs in my diet. But I don't need to be saved. Now, if that's startling language, the Bible means this. In its truest sense, that we need to be saved, that our situation is so dire that without God, we can never even come close to living life, the abundant life that he's made us for here. And that without God, we become eternally separated from the very source of life itself. 
right? And this is serious business. Now, we're going to talk about this idea of sin and saving in a second, but what I want to come back to, let's go back to the slide with Jonah, yeah, the, the progression, that renewal is fundamentally a spiritual transformation, okay? And then what we see is that it, with the sailors, that because Jonah experiences renewal, there's this contagious dynamic with renewal. When God shows up in a person's life, it transforms that person's life to a, develop a kind of magnetism around that life that isn't because that person's so great, so good looking, so intelligent. It is the presence of God in that person that draws others towards God in them. And it's contagious. So the sailors experience renewal. And that talks about renewal at the communal or the relational level, which is why the Bible talks about not just accepting Christ as savior, but forgiving one another. Or it talks about being quick to listen, slow to speak, the transformation in the way that we relate to those nearest to us, the way that we talk, the way that we relate to people, people who are different than us, a reordering of human structure and relationship, even hierarchy at a societal level. The, the, the tension between men and women, slave and free, Jew and Gentile. If you know, if you know Paul, then you know that when he talks about how we have been, we're being renewed and we are all, what does he say? He goes, men and women, Jew, Gentile, slave and free are right with God. He's laying out these pairings to identify this relational transformation. And then he goes on to Nineveh. The fact that God brings renewal to society and renews culture, the values and the, and the deeply entrenched behaviors of society the ideologies of culture can be renewed. And I, what I love about this idea of renewal is it captures the deep hope that we have about our life, about our relationships, and about our world. Where do you long for renewal? The word for renewal means this. It means to make something new, to make something different. It, it represents a profound change, a fresh beginning. Now, isn't that what we really want for our world? We don't want just a few new kind of policies or laws. We don't want just a new sort of politician in place. Well, we want a deep change at the heart level of people's lives and culture. The Bible teaches it's rooted in a spiritual work that only God can do. And I want us to invite you, where do you long for that in your own life? Where do you sense that longing for renewal in you or those around you? Maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe it's with your roommates. Maybe it's what you see when you turn on the news, what you see going on in the world. Maybe you long for anxiety to be renewed into peace or prejudice like we see in Jonah to be renewed towards compassion. Or maybe it's, irreconcilable differences, finding a breakthrough towards new understanding and new solutions. Where is it for you guys? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. And we're going to look at how we can open our life to God's renewal. And secondly, what happens when we do? And we're going to start with Jonah and we're going to look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 with me. It starts with Jonah. Verse 12, pick me up, Throw me into the sea, he says. He replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. A couple of things about this moment. Where did he get the idea of throw me overboard? Not exactly the first solution we think of when we think of solving a problem. You know, imagine you're having an argument in the car. I know what will fix it. Throw me out the car. <laughs> it's, it's a little peculiar. 
where he gets this from, um, I think it's deeply rooted in his understanding of the sacrificial system that comes from the Jewish practice of sacrifice at the temple. I think there's something deep in his mind that understands when something is wrong with God, something, there needs to be a sacrifice. I think that was there. But secondly, commentators look at this like it's a bit of a mixed motive kind of action, right? Just like us. We're never pure in our motives. That maybe what Jonah's doing is, oh, I'll, get, I'll, I'll show God. You want to trap me in a storm? Uh, just throw me overboard and kill me because that way God can't get me to Nineveh. And so it's a bit of a power move with God. Oh, you think you're going to strong arm me, God? Well, now I'm dead. What are you going to do now? Um, but I also think there's some sincerity here. Look at this moment right here. He says, um, I know, it says in verse 12, that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. I think there's a real moment of actual conviction and awareness of personal responsibility that's happening for him. Now, I didn't say this this morning, but I'm gonna say it to this audience. I think sometimes when we're forced to face our fault in a moment, it can be so painful that we might even despair of our own life. I mean, seriously, we might find ourselves in moments where we are facing a mistake, a sin, a failure, that finally when we kind of have to own up to it, that we might even despair of our own life. We get into a depression. We experience a kind of emotional, spiritual breakdown, depression, discouragement, even. And someone brought up with me this between services even thoughts of suicide. Now, maybe you're there. Maybe there's been some failure in your life that has just consumed you with shame and you feel like, I can't go on living anymore. My life is worthless and you feel worthless. I just want to say one thing and then we'll move forward that is not the voice of God. When God convicts us of sin, he doesn't condemn us. He convicts us of fault so that we can be healed, renewed, and he can renew you he can renew the relationships in your life. He can renew whatever you have broken. That, my friends, is good news. And we'll get to why God can make that promise to you in a minute. But first, it's hard admitting our fault, isn't it? Are you with me? What is it that's so hard about admitting fault? He goes right here, it's my fault. Do you ever wonder why it's so hard when you're in a moment? Can you think of a moment where maybe your parents are kind of laying into you going, you didn't do this and you just want to justify yourself. Well, I'm busy. I don't have time for chores. Do you know how busy my life is, mom? Do you have any idea all that I am doing? Do you know how intense my soccer team is right now? And uh, I got to go out and I got to practice. Or maybe it's with your spouse or a friend. You know, we can find these places in these, our life where we're confronted with a mistake or someone bringing correction. And it's hard. Can you bring one to mind? Bring, think of one. Maybe you remember me last week uh, with my wife in a conflict. We'll talk more about that. But um, what is it that's so hard about it being fall? I mean, let's just really think about it for a second. You know, you're in a conflict. What is so hard about just saying, you know what? I think you're making a good point. I think I need to reconsider what you're saying. And I want to be the most loving person I can be in this moment with you right now. Tell me what I could have done better. Doesn't that just sound easy? Now, if I just had you turn and just share that with somebody, hey, what could I do better? Because I want to be the most loving presence I can be. I want to grow. Isn't that easy to say? Are you with me? It's easy to say, but what is it that makes it hard to do? 
What holds us back in that moment? If it's not complicated, what makes it hard to do? Ever wonder that? What do you guys think? What makes it so hard to turn in a moment, in a moment of conflict and say, you know what? You make a good point. Tell me more about how I could do this better or how I could be a more forgiving or gracious, a more helpful person here. Yeah, ego, pride. Right, come on, give me a shout out. Come on, give it a shout it out. Yeah, okay, we know the answer, don't we? We know that most likely it's not because, well, because the other person is just wrong. And 99% of the time, we are right and they're wrong. We know that. We know that's just crazy thinking, right? Like, do you remember with my, with my wife? Hey, babe, I can make this really simple. Uh, let me get super clear. You were wrong in three ways. One, two, three, boom. See that? See how easy that is, babe? It's just boom right there. If you would just kind of see it my way, we got this figured out. And what I think is so important about this is that thing that holds us back is the reason why we need renewal. Because the problem isn't technique or really knowing what to say. The problem is not wanting to say the thing that needs to be said. And it's that part right there, not wanting to say it. Why don't we want to say it? Why do we resist humbling ourselves in a moment? And that's what we're talking about here. This deep-seated need to be God, to be perfect. And for every moment and for the world to revolve around our perspective, our sense of right and wrong. And if the world would just be more like us, wouldn't the world be better? Come on, don't we kind of think that a little bit? I, okay, I'm to confession. When I was in sixth grade, this is going to give you an insight into my, my own neurosis. In sixth grade, the class was going bonkers. And I could tell. I was looking around the room just in sixth grade. Okay, it's crazy. My teacher's about to break. And I just, as the oldest of five kids, right, I know the drill. I got really calm and just sat there and behaved. And the teacher pointed me out and goes, look, can't you just be more like Ryan? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> yes. Someone gets this. Someone sees. And this is the thought I had. No, I remember thinking this in sixth grade. I'm not a Christian. I'm just, you know, just another dude just rolling through life, wanting the world to revolve around me. And I think this thought, you know, if my class was more like me, the class would be a much better place. And that just kind of stuck with me. But if we're honest, isn't that kind of how we think? If my spouse was just more like me, we would have a lot more fun. If they were just more like me, we'd be a lot more organized. If my parents were more like me, my life would be a lot easier and everything would go more smoothly. Right? Come on. And there's, a, there's that in all of us. That's why we need saving. Because deep down, we all want to be God and, and want everyone in the world to revolve around us. And that's what God is saving Jonah from, the need to be God. And that gets to the core of what sin is. The Bible teaches us that we need that deep transformation. And the, where it begins is right here. It's my fault. It begins with what the Bible calls repentance. Repentance is that willingness to change our perspective and realign with God's mind and his, or to realign with our mind and our behavior with God in obedience to him. Repentance opens the door to God's Holy Spirit to renew us. Go back to Titus for a minute. Look at Titus 3, 5. Now notice this. It says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Repenting doesn't save us, but repentance, that willingness to say, you know what? There's something about the way I'm looking at this that needs a change. 
that willingness to admit fault, mistake, even sin, that opens the door to God's spirit to bring renewal to a moment that we are stuck in ourselves. Now, this right here is the key. It begins with being honest about our sin, our failure, the plank in our own eye. Do you guys remember the plank talk last week? I want to show the verse. This is what the Bible says right here. Check this out. It begins right here. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your husband's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Last week, I had a, a woman come up to me and she just gave me a nudge. She's like, she, she goes, you know, this whole, that whole service was really convicting. I kept nudging my husband the whole service. <laughs> He needs to hear this. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I think you kind of missed what I was trying to say. <laughs> what I love about the scriptures, the scriptures are so, it's cut to the chase. We have sin. Bible says this, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Now that's wonderfully freeing, right? Because we are all in the boat with sin together. Jonah is not the only one who needs repenting. So do the sailors. We'll talk about them in a minute. It's not just the non-believer in the boat that needs to repent. So does the Christian. Are you with me? And what's so great about Jesus is, yeah, you, you all have sin, but look at right here. But don't focus and don't start by the sin that's in their eye. Start with what's in your eye. Then when you allow God to confront what's in you, then you can see clearly you're not looking with self-righteousness or judgment or insecurity or ego. You're looking with God's eye with compassion and mercy. Then you can see clearly. And this is true in our interpersonal relationships. And this is true in the way that Christians look at culture where we feel threatened and we want to see the bad guys are out there. God wants to shift that perspective See, no, the bad guy is sin. And it's out there and it's in here. And, and no one's the hero except God. And that is a wonderfully freeing position to be in. When we can go there and go, you know what? We're all in the same boat together. Repentance is how we confront what has not been surrendered to God. And that's what we see with Jonah. There are aspects of his life that are not fully surrendered to God. For example, in verse nine earlier, it says this, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. Most commentators see in this moment an order of priority of Jonah's identity. Before he is someone who worships God, he is a Hebrew. What does that mean? See, Jonah is all good for preaching God's word um, when it means good for him and for his people. So in 2 Kings, we see Jonah is prophesying about the expansion of Israel's borders. Do you know who they're expanding their borders against? Assyria, which Nineveh is the capital of. They've been taking land back. And Jonah's like, oh yes, I hear the word of the Lord, expand. But when God takes, that, takes his word and says, now go to Nineveh, go to Assyria and preach there so that they can have repentance? Jonah's like, no, God, you can give me mercy, but you can't give them mercy. Why? Because repentance is always out there and it's never here. Do you see what I'm saying? And that's what God is realigning Jonah with. We can't see the repentance out there until we can see it here. And that puts us in a posture that allows our life to be filled with more of God's 
goodness and presence, his grace, so that the way we carry his truth to the world is with his power and goodness, not with our self-righteousness. So it begins with humbling ourselves. Repenting doesn't save them, but it does open the door to God. Now, I want to talk about the sailors for a minute. Verse 15, look at this. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Let's get something clear right now. Jonah did not cause a chemical reaction in the ocean and cause it to calm down. Do we get that? He does not calm the storm. That's what I mean. Repentance does not save us or save our relationships or save our world, but repentance is what opens the door to God's spirit and power to come in to do that saving work. Do we get that? And when we, whenever we repent, we are opening the door to God in a moment to break through with his renewing power. And that's what happens to the sailors. There was something about the way Jonah entered into this moment that caused a radical shift. Look at this line right here. It says, to describe the sailors, that the men feared the Lord exceedingly. And their faith shifts in two ways. They go from like worshiping all these gods from the general, hey, everyone's picking their own God, to all of a sudden they come down to one God. I want to talk about that right there. And maybe this morning you're here because God has put a Jonah in your life. Someone through whom God is opening in a door to faith in you. Stirring up an awareness of God. Maybe putting the name of Jesus in your ear. And maybe you're here because a roommate, a friend, a family member has invited you. What I want you to see in the sailors is God's heart for you. Because in the boat, is Jonah, who's already a believer. And of course, God's going after him. But what we don't realize is that no matter how far from God we are, God is pursuing us as well. Because he is not just Jonah's God. He is God over the sailors. He is God over Nineveh. He is God over the entire world. Now that is a comforting thought, but it's also a bit offensive, isn't it? Because the sailors go from all of their gods to one God. And doesn't that kind of just rub us a little wrong? That idea of the exclusivity of God, that there isn't many gods, there is one true God. Now that's what we find here. We find this incredible grace of God that embraces the world where God is reaching the many, but he does it by calling us to the one, to the one true God. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is what happens with the sailors. See, the sailors go from a general idea of God, right? Little G gods, many gods. And then all of a sudden it goes from general and abstract. And all of a sudden it gets specific and it gets personal. Let's go to the next slide. Because they're no longer calling on their little G gods, which in the Hebrew is Elohim. For the first time in the whole story, the sailors are calling on Yahweh, which is the name of Jonah's God, the God of the Bible. 
and they're calling on that God. So it's not a general God. See, when I was not a Christian, my roommate, or my, not my roommate, my close friend called me out. He goes, Ryan, aren't you Catholic? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm Catholic. He goes, oh, that's cool. You never say the name of Jesus. And I'm like, Ugh. just him saying that. I was like, Ugh, that's true. I don't. And he's like, you always call him the big guy upstairs. I'm like, yeah, the big guy upstairs. And he, yeah, but he has a name. His name is Jesus. And he's like, why don't you say Jesus's name? No, he asked me this. My junior year in high school. And I had never thought of that. He goes, in fact, it's easier for you to drop an F-bomb than to say Jesus's name. And I'm like, you're right. And I had to think about it for a minute. And I go, you know, when I say Jesus, I feel kind of religious. When I say Jesus Christ, I feel like a fanatic, like I'm in a cult or something. Like you're going hardcore. You're using his first and his last name. You're like, you're out there, you know? And there's something different about God and Jesus. When we get that specific, it gets personal. Are you with me? It gets personal. It's one thing to say, oh, you know, I've been dating this girl. It's another thing to say, oh, I'm in love with Stacy." right? It's like, whoa, it's getting personal. This is not general. This is specific because God has a name. And it's like my friend was telling me when he was not a Christian, he became a, a believer in the, uh, about a year ago. And he was saying, before I became a Christian, God was the universe. The universe has answered my prayer. The universe is being good to me. The universe is making everything go wrong. I don't know. It's just the will of the universe. But then as I started to get to know Jesus, I realized the one who is behind the universe. It gets personal. And this is what's interesting about getting personal. The more personal it gets, the more exclusive it becomes. Let me tell you why. The more personal things got with my girlfriend, Stacy, and we just got to the point where it was so personal and so close, we wanted to spend the rest of our lives with each other. And that relationship was getting really personal and focused. It also meant that all the other guys that she maybe was looking at and women I was looking at were no longer an option. Do you see how that works? And that's because the love in that relationship was making a claim on my life. Not a general claim, but a specific claim, a claim to know God personally. Do you know God personally? Do you know that he knows you personally? He has every hair in your head counted and that he loves you and that he made you to be in a personal relationship with him. And this is what it means to be saved. It means to go from knowing God in the general abstract way to knowing him personally and specifically as your savior. Listen to this testimony as someone was sharing out. This person who's recently came to faith and began to discover God. She was, her name is Bird and she gave me permission to share her story. And I hope this speaks to you but she said it this way. She was sharing about how she was raised agnostic and atheist. And she was sharing about how she has strong aversion to Christianity because she saw it as a way of controlling people to do what they wanted. Now, isn't that kind of true? Aren't there moments in history when Christians have used their faith to just get control over people? And we've seen some of that. We've seen that and it, can, and it actually can kind of be true. We see in the ways that people have used God in religion, 
not because they want people to know God and his love, but because they feel threatened by somebody else's belief or practices and they feel insecure and they just want everyone to be more like them. That's why God has to deal with Jonah first before he's ready for Nineveh. Because Jonah is all good for preaching when it's good for Israel, but as soon as God gives him a word that's good for Nineveh, he runs from God in the boat. He has no interest in the sailors. And he is going through a process of being awakened that God's word is not just for him, but it's for him for the sake of those around him. My friends, that is a different posture because sometimes God's people use God's word for their own purpose and not God's. And so there's some truth there. And at 14, she became curious spiritually and she dove into paganism, Hinduism, occult, astrology. These were sort of her gods. What are yours? Maybe you're a bit more pragmatic and your God is not the God of Hinduism or astrology. Your God is the NASDAQ, right? It's the Dow, it's the stock market. It's what's happening financially. You're the more practical sort. Maybe your God is your incredibly good looks. That is what you lean on to feel good about your life. But see, we have our practical ways of finding our own God. We have our spiritual religious ways. But what we depend on for fulfillment and direction and truth in our life is what really where our God is. And that's what's coming to the surface here in this moment. At 21, a close friend became a follower of Jesus in her life. And so Bird started listening to worship music. She would share how she, her, the hair in her arms would stand on end because she had never experienced a love that was so overwhelming as she experienced when she was worshiping. Now, I want to ask you a question. Where did she learn about worship music? Where do you think she got the worship music that began to open her heart? Where do you think she got it from? Yeah, she got it from her friend. Because just like with Jonah, when we experience personal renewal with God, when we allow God to come to deeper levels of our life and deeper levels of surrender to him, it's magnetic and it's contagious and others want a piece of God in our life. And so listen, that one night she shares a story. I want to read it to you guys. So she's grown in curiosity and openness. And then one night, this moment happened here. This was, she wrote this for me about four months ago, but watch the similarity to our moment with Jonah. One night I was on a walk and I was hitting, uh, I was hitting my breakthrough my, or my breaking point full of confusion on what to believe. The inner turmoil of racing and conflicting thoughts had peaked and I felt so exhausted from trying to figure it out on my own and wanting to find the truth, not just another truth. You see that right there? This is her own writing. Not just another truth, but the truth. I begin to cry and call out to Jesus. Now, here's the turning point to help me, to help me understand, but mostly to help me stop the craziness in my head. Then, like a switch had been flipped, my mind stopped racing, my body was calm, and I felt a great peace and love wash over me as if he had just snapped his fingers and calmed my storm. Now, what the Bible teaches is that there's a fundamental restlessness to human life without God. And Augustine said it best, I am restless, we are restless until we find our rest in thee. And that's what this storm also represents. It's not just a storm of Jonah's 
running from God. It represents the storm in the world because humanity has replaced God with ourself. A God of our own making, a God that suits our fancy, that scratches our itches where we want it. Now listen to this quote. There's something in this moment about Jonah's, Jonah's plunge into the sea that reveals God to the sailors, that changes them, right? We know it wasn't magic, but there was something about what he did that revealed a truth about God that broke through to their hearts. What was it about this moment that captured their hearts? John Stott says this. He says, for the essence of sin is a man substituting himself for God while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Now watch. Man asserts himself against God, puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. Man deigns prerogatives which belong to God alone. God accepts penalties which belong to man alone. When Jonah is thrown overboard, it's like a moment that foreshadows what Jesus would do on the cross. Because on the cross, God brings into perfect 4D clarity the nature of God and his love for us. On the cross, Jesus took our penalty. The consequence of our life lived without him. The consequence of our sin, the consequence of all the ways in which we are trying to find fulfillment without God. Right? All the fulfillment that all of the entertainment, all of the finances and all the pickleball by itself will never give our soul. And pretty soon there's a drift and God, maybe not dramatically, but incrementally is pushed to the margins of our life. And the consequence of that, that's what the storm represents. The consequence of confusion, the consequence of anxiety and the conflict in our lives and in our world is rooted in that spiritual need for God to be restored to the center of our life. And I just want to ask you, do you know God's love like that? It says in Titus 3, 4, but when God, our savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. And that's what Jonah's doing. He's demonstrating the most extravagant act of love the world's ever seen. God in flesh, dying on the cross, taking our sin upon himself so that we could be forgiven and made right with him. I want to invite the band to come on out. As the band comes out, I just want to invite you. Where do you sense the need for renewal? Maybe your need for renewal is in your own life. Maybe somewhere there's been a drift from God and little by little, God is just taking the back seat. Maybe for others of us, that renewal is more dramatic. You've never given your life to Jesus. And this morning, like my friend Bird, God is calling you to himself. She said this, I want to leave you with these words. She said, God humbled me and saved me from deceptive beliefs, actions, and feelings that told me that all I needed was myself to live however I wanted without eternal consequence. And that truth was subjective. I love the way she put a point to that. All I need is myself. Maybe this morning God's saying, no, you can't save yourself. Your spouse can't save you. Your friends can't save you. Your coach, your teacher, 
But if you will open your heart to God, he will come into your life and he will renew you from the inside out. God wants to get personal with you. Maybe you've been blaming the church, you've been blaming yourself, or you've been blaming the world, but this morning, God wants to clear the deck and free you from all the rationalizations and just wants to corner you right now and let you know that he's pursuing you. Not in a general sense, but a specific sense. He is pursuing you. It says in God's word, if you acknowledge me before people, I will acknowledge you before my father and all the angels. I want to give you a chance to just acknowledge God, to open your life to God. Say, God, I want to know you in a personal way. And if you need to renew that personal connection with God, or if you need to open up your heart for the first time to Jesus, I want to invite you, wherever you're seeing right now, just to lift your hand. And you're not doing it for me, but it's a way of participating. It's a way of owning the moment in your heart right now. I see you, brother. It's a way of just saying, I see you. God, I need renewal. I want renewal in my heart. God, I want renewal in my relationship. God, I want hope for renewal with what I see in the world. I want to invite you just wherever you're at, just stand or just raise your hand. I'm going to pray for you. I see you in the back. Yeah, I see you guys. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? Okay. If you just raise your hand, just put your hands out like this. Just palms out. And just pray this simple prayer, Lord Jesus. Forgive me and cleanse me. Renew me. And renew your spirit in me. Forgive me for my sin and fill me afresh with your spirit. Cleanse me of the fear anxiety or worry or doubts, whatever it is, it's standing between you and God. You can name it. The busyness, the many gods, the things that you're clinging to, the gods that are just distracting you. Jesus, I want to go all in with you. Just say that to him. I want to go all in with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, uh, I know you want to go. One second. Prayer team, can I get some prayer up here? Uh, where's my prayer crew? Yeah, the Gilmores are going to be up praying. Come on, Gilmores. I could use her. Can you guys pray? And can I? Yeah, I want you guys. Come on up. Mark Gabriela, why don't you come up here and pray with these guys right here? Um, I got some people up here ready to pray. Um, you know what I'd love for you guys? If you raise your hand, just let someone pray for you before you leave. And don't let it just be a moment. Let it just, let it stick. Come up, receive prayer, and then I'll see you outside with a lollipop. God bless you guys. Have a great week.